Hey, this is John at pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad you're here. Ready for a great conversation with Brother Randy Ballard on mindset and how we change our mind when we put on Christ and that whatever happens in life, uh, we're going to be able to roll with it because of the change in mind that we put on. Now, today we're going to begin with looking at some of those key concepts of the spirit and the flesh and the mind. And then that's going to continue on in the next week when we look at some practical examples of how to change our mind. So for now, let's jump into this great conversation with Brother Randy. Welcome back to the podcast, Brother Randy. I'm Thanks, thankful, sir. thankful for you to be here in the studio with me. And I enjoy our, our times together. I hope others enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoy having the conversation. Oh, yeah. I, I enjoy sitting here visiting with you. And I forget all about that somebody's recording this. You right. know, I just have the conversation <laughs> with a friend. It's, well, we, we're not in a line of work where maybe like an, a, a news reporter, somebody, somebody shoving a microphone in your face all the time, making a statement that people can't see. But, you know, we have microphones shoved in our faces right now. So there's, <laughs> there is a time of kind of getting over having this gear six inches from your head. Right. But uh, thankful for the study that we're going to have a chance to talk about today called Change Your Mind. And, uh, you know, mindset, some of the verses, not to spoil it too much, but some of the, the verses in the New Testament about setting your mind on things above. Um, this goes back for me. Uh, I appreciate it because of when I was a school teacher, we had to read books uh, in the summer Um to prepare for each school year. Typically, it was about our teaching practices. But one year, that we got a book called Mindset. And it was not a, a uh, religious book. It was about, um, you know, just changing emotionally and mentally your mindset so that whatever happens in the classroom, you're going to be able to roll with it. But man, it, it, it was an extra biblical source that really was speaking a lot of biblical truth about rolling with whatever comes your way. When you have the proper mindset, it doesn't matter what comes your way. So... Yeah. That for me, this conversation is one that I have been anticipating because of that fact. I, I enjoyed that book, and I enjoy this uh, type of study. Well, th th this is a topic that is of extreme interest and importance to me, and if I could share my personal story about that. As an evangelist, you know, my primary function and goal is to reach outsiders and teach them about the gospel and about the church and, and uh, so forth. And so we go through those kind of things, but as people obey the gospel, they become Christians— uh, I have begun to realize that they still have a lot of problems, right? Right. And uh, how do you get over that when you've used profanity all your life, when you uh, have drank and run around with the wrong crowd or used drugs or whatever it is? Uh, how do you just all of a sudden change your entire lifestyle and your, your patterns of behavior? Well, I think the scriptures tell us how to do that. It's more than just sheer willpower. There are some right. things we can do uh, to be successful in that endeavor. Well, you know, Jesus uh, told a parable of a demon-possessed man who uh, the demon left and he swept and put his house in order, but he never filled it with God's presence. You know, there was that kind of hole in his heart mm -hmm. so that when the demon came back, it was able to take up residence once again. And that's somebody that maybe they've... Uh, if they've obeyed the gospel or they've decided to make a change in their life, but they've not filled it with something. Again, maybe we're kind of spoiling the later part <laughs> of this study specifically, but I had that, that parable in mind whenever you made that point. I'm looking at your notes, and I'm seeing the first scripture in this Bible study, Change Your Mind, is Genesis chapter 8. Uh, 
quite an interesting place to start when you're talking about changing your mind. Wondering if you could read it to us and, and give us a, maybe a, an introduction to why this is a good place to start. Sure. Well, you know, we're familiar with the flood, the great flood. Everybody knows that story, and we read more about that in the previous couple of chapters of Genesis. So in chapter 8, this is after the flood, and uh, we know the story about how God promised to never destroy the earth in that way again and the right. ra- rainbow and all that kind of thing. But, but he says something here that helps us to understand, I believe, the human condition. He says in Genesis 8, 21, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, the mm. word youth in Hebrew is kind of like the word youth in English. It's got a wide you know, variety of right. uses. It's pretty broad. Yeah, In the Bible, we actually have examples of it being used in reference to little infants, but even to grown people that are married. So okay. pretty broad spectrum there. I think in this case, we can understand this is someone who's immature, right? but they have attained an age where they have a certain degree of independent thought. They're able to make decisions and, and choices and so forth. But he says the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. We're born pure and innocent, but somewhere along the way, we begin to think in a rebellious and evil way. Well, can you help us maybe then, you know, that that age may be uh, vary from person to person of, of when they have this uh, accountability in their heart. But what are some of the first things that a young person may do uh, this this evil from his youth? So what? What are some of those evil things that would go against God's will that a young person might start doing? Yeah, well, what you said about uh, this occurring at different ages in different people is true, and that helps us to understand it. You know, for some, it may be 9 or 10, uh, others 12 or 14, others maybe 19 or 20, Right. you know. But uh, we see this even in young children as they begin to perhaps lie. You know, Mm. lying is one of the first things. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it. He did. He hit me. (laughs) She did it first and that sort of thing. Um. Being selfish and headstrong, those right. are things that we sometimes see in children, and those are listed in the in the scriptures as things that uh, you know we should not have or should not be. Uh, but then you think about it, and as the child gets a little bit older, a little bit further away, a little bit more rebellious, they start uh, having thoughts and feelings of uh, things like pride, covetousness, uh, fornication, uh, other sins begin to show up. So I think there's kind of a progression. But at some point, we can say this person is now in open rebellion against God. And just because somebody who is young is uh, committing that sin, it doesn't mean that you're going to grow out of it. You know, uh, lying and deceiving. I'm not finished living my life, but I'm no longer a child. But I can tell you that there are still times whenever I've fallen into the struggle of deceiving or lying, whether it may be to help or to, to not hurt someone's feelings or whatever the case may be. It's not an isolated event for just a little baby or a, a young person. Oh, right? no. Yeah, quite the opposite. In fact, I think w- without the uh, correction and, and checking of God's word, we probably will continue in that direction and get further and further away. Okay. Well, could you uh, keep elaborating maybe in, in Genesis and, and maybe some other scriptures that talk about the, the being subject to this evil decision-making? Well, I think about the description that God gave of the condition of people prior to the flood. If we go back a couple of chapters in Genesis, Genesis 6 and 5, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. I don't know how much more clear uh, that could be. It wasn't just some of his thoughts. It was everyone. It wasn't just some of the time, but it was continually. It wasn't just part of what was in his heart. That was the only thing that was there. And so God described mankind as being consumed by an evil heart and an evil mind. Now, this is happening, you know, thousands of years ago, 4,500 years ago, give or take whatever the, the years are before the flood. Um, but has, has our nature changed a lot since then? You know, did the flood wipe it all out and now now we're going to have a, a different line, a way of thinking? Well, apparently not. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you two uh, biblical proofs of that. Okay. And the first one was, I'm going to say probably a little less than 2,000 years after the flood, uh, Jeremiah wrote this, the prophet Jeremiah in quoting God says, you have done worse than your fathers for behold, Each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart. And so we have this thing, you know, 2,000 years after the flood where men are still following the dictates of their evil heart. And then Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, which was one of the uh, last letters written during the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh And he says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. So even describing the time that we're living in today, uh, men are referred to as, you know, not listening to God and having an evil heart. Well, as Christians, we're supposed to be different than that, though. So, um, you know, are Christians different? You know, do, do we do we not struggle with that anymore once we've put on Christ, or how does that work? Well, that's a great question. Absolutely, we're supposed to be different, but there still is a struggle, and I want to spend a little time talking about that. Okay. Uh, Let's start with Mark 7. Jesus said, for from within, and and the reason I'm reading this, I want to express to everyone why the condition of our heart is important. Okay. Uh, And so it'll take me a couple of minutes to develop that thought. Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So Mm. when people have a heart full of evil, what are they going to do? They're going to do evil things, right? Right. right. And so that's what God saw in the human condition before the flood. He saw that men had an evil heart and that led them to do uh, evil things. Our actions, even today, this is true in every uh, individual and in every culture, we are our actions are dictated by or at least directed by what's on the inside okay well this situation doesn't seem pretty good which you know if you've read romans chapter one through three a great summation of wherever you are whether you are somebody who's familiar with god or not familiar with god the conclusion is always the same that heart and the choices that it makes leads us to fall short of the glory of god um the good news is that we don't have to stay that way, right? That, that we're not going to be in this position if we so choose to be or so choose to change to our change. mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's really the point, right? That's what we're talking about here today. This is a common condition of humanity. People have a tendency to have an evil heart, to have a heart that's selfish and rebellious against God. But you don't have to stay that way. Now, think about Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, for example. Okay. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so the idea is that God 
loves us so much. He is so rich in mercy that he allows us to choose a different path. He's made a way uh, for us to go from this state of spiritual death into a new life. Amen. Let let me mention one more. Romans chapter 6, that's what it's all about. Uh, You know, it says in verses 3 through 6, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, watch this part, okay. that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, this scripture is a beautiful example of what baptism intended to be, the picture of death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. But like you emphasized, I'm seeing more than just baptism. There's the walking in newness of life. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yes, and I think that's something that a lot of times we overlook. But you go just a little bit later in that chapter, like verse 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Uh, verses 17 and 18 says, you were the slaves of sin, but you've set uh, been set free from sin and you became slaves of righteousness. So there is a massive change that must take place in our lives whenever we obey the gospel and become Christians. So isn't that great? I mean, not only can we be forgiven of our past sins, right. which is wonderful, that's that's absolutely essential, but besides that, we've been freed from sin altogether. That's what it says. Uh-huh. But, but wait a minute. If we stop reading there, uh, we may come away with some misunderstandings and some incorrect conclusions. Oh, okay. Go on further. Look at what Paul writes in chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, Paul says, am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For mm. what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Let's let's slow down for a minute on that verse. You know, there's been times I've read through that and I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to <laughs> do. Can you maybe can you help me understand what's going on there? Yeah, it's almost kind of a tongue twister, but right. he wants to do the right thing. But somehow that doesn't always happen. He doesn't want to sin, but sometimes he does. And, you know, when you read this, it, you can hear the frustration in Paul's voice almost. Right. And, and I can relate to that. I understand what he's saying. I don't ever want to sin, mm-hmm. but sometimes I do. I always want to do the right thing. I want to take advantage of every opportunity, but sometimes I don't. Okay. And, and so I can relate to what Paul says, and I'm thankful that he says it because it helps me understand that I'm not the only person like that. What if somebody looked at that passage and they kind of take away that, that really you're being possessed by sin? It's not your fault. Uh, you're wanting to serve God, but your body is is just not in control. Therefore, you're not going to be accountable for, for what you do. Yeah, no, that, that's not at all what he's saying here. We, we've already noted that we tend to rebel against God. That's just kind of the nature of man. We see it all the way back with Adam and Eve. We see it all up through the flood and even to our present day that we just tend to be selfish creatures. And sometimes we make bad decisions. We do the wrong thing. We do have that tendency or that nature, some mm-hmm. people might say. That's not an excuse. Uh, I know the scriptures teach, and we haven't really got to this point yet, but we're going to learn that all of us stumble occasionally in sin. Right. So I've had people say, well, you know, why worry about it then? We're going to sin. Let's just go on. No, no. The Bible specifically says not to do that. And so 
it, it's not an excuse, but it is something we need to recognize and understand that we do have a tendency to be rebellious against God. Uh, he gives us the provisions and he makes a way for us not to give in. And that's really what this study is going to be all about. Okay. Well, then um, let's jump back into Romans 7, uh, talking about that which I want to do, uh, that which I don't want to do. There, there's more to the passage of just those scriptures. Can you maybe read the next few verses and, and help us understand it? Yes. Thank you for that introduction, because if you go down to verses 22 through 25, I think it clears it up for us a little bit. He says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So if we just stop right there, it sounds like Paul is hopeless He's helpless. There's nothing he can do about it. But look at the very next verse. He asked the question, who will deliver me from this situation? Uh And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You know, Paul is saying there's a struggle that's going on. There's a war that's Mm -hmm. taking place. In my mind, I want to do the right thing, but I don't always do that. Sometimes my body doesn't want to uh, cooperate. I'll tell you a, a really good way to understand this is to remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion. Right. Remember Jesus went a little further in the garden, took three of the apostles with him, and he asked them to watch with him. He went a little further to pray. When he came back, they were asleep. He chided them about that a little bit, but he says to them, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He's saying in their mind, they wanted to do the right thing, but they were overcome by grief and by exhaustion, and they didn't do what they wanted to do. Okay. Well, if I could use a personal example for how this makes sense to me, um, maybe it'll be helpful to some out there. Uh, I have reached an age, I'm not an old man by any stretch of the imagination, but I have reached an age where I don't enjoy exercise maybe as much as I used to. And so there are times when, when, for example, I enjoy going for a jog. Um, when it's several miles long, some, for some reason, sometimes I'm able to convince myself in the morning, I don't need to go, you know, uh, I, need, I need the rest, or um, maybe my knee hurts, and so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it, you know. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I know the benefits of this, et cetera. And so there is kind of a struggle. Am I or am I not going to do this, knowing that it will ultimately be helpful? And when I when I choose to do it and I finish the jog, I like to uh, pray or to maybe acknowledge to the Lord, thank you, God, that the spirit is willing and that the flesh is willing to submit. So there's a kind of a struggle for exercise. That's just a paltry example, but uh, we're saying that this struggle spiritually your spirit wants to serve God, but your flesh doesn't. So. Yeah, and, and really, I think it's a great example. You're right. The consequences of the choice that you make in that case uh, may not be as severe or as eternal, you know, right. uh, but, but I do think it's a, a good example that helps that all of us can relate to and it helps us to understand. Um, let, let me go back to this thing about the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay. Remember earlier in uh, Romans 7 and 25 when Paul said, uh, You know, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The word flesh there is the same one that Jesus used to the apostles when he said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay. But it shows up again now in the next chapter, Romans chapter 8. 
Verses 5 through 7 say, for those who live according to the flesh. Here's where we're going to begin to understand how this impacts our lives and what it really means. Uh, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded Mm. is death, Mm -hmm. but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now, let me read one more verse, then we'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, This is Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I guess that's two verses. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish." The word spirit in all of those places is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 26, 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So in the same way that the apostles wanted to stay awake, they wanted to please Jesus, they wanted to watch with him, but they couldn't because they were weak and sleepy. In the same way, we want to do what's right. We want to please the Lord, but sometimes through weakness, we don't always measure up. This helps me understand the danger, I guess, then, um, that there is this war between the flesh and the spirit. You talk about, we talked about earlier, being baptized. You're walking in the newness of life. You're wanting to serve the Lord. But maybe we don't uh, speak of as often whenever somebody does get baptized. Maybe we should more. Um, that the flesh wants to resist even after you've been baptized. Not only before, it's not going to resist you up until the water. Like, no, no, don't get in. <laughs> and then once you're in, all fleshly desires gone. Uh, I, I don't want to put you on the spot if you, if you don't want to mention this, but I'll just use myself. I've been a Christian now for uh, 21 years. I still struggle against the flesh. It's it's not left. Sure. And so for those out there who may be new Christians wondering after you come down from that high of uh, you know that experiencing that being on fire because you've you've decided to commit your life to, to Christ, but then suddenly you're confused maybe three months later, six months later, that you're still struggling with the same things before or now that you were struggling with before, I'd just like to encourage them that that struggle, while we achieve to uh, set our mind on things of Christ, it's never truly going to go away until we are with Christ and uh, in his glory. Yeah, that's right, and I'm glad you said that, and I'll I'll chime in and say, yes, I I have the same situation. I've been a Christian for a little longer than you. I've been on the earth a little (laughs) longer than you. There are some things that do not tempt me in the least. They don't bother me at all, but there are some things that still do. And I'll tell you what I—and by the way, I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, the Apostle Paul had that struggle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here was a man who had been through all sorts of things and someone we can look up to and admire and revere for all of the work he did and all the things that he endured— And he said there was this struggle uh, that he dealt with. But here's where we get into, and I think I've said this before, I'm going to say now we're getting into the key or the the really deep part of the study. Uh We've talked about the words flesh and spirit. They've appeared in several verses that we've read. But there's another word that kept popping up in there that I think is going to help us figure out how to let the spirit uh, have victory over the flesh. Okay. And it's the word mind. Paul Ah. said with his mind, he served the law of God, but with uh, his flesh, he served the law of sin. Earlier, uh, he said something about something warring against his mind. Uh-huh. Um, earlier, there was a passage of scripture. I referred to it. We didn't read it from Romans uh, chapter seven about a lot of fleshly 
sinful things that that men are subject to. Right. And uh, the reason for those things, according to the Apostle Paul, was that people have a debased mind. Mm. So we understand from this, and this is kind of summarizing what we've talked about so far, in the act of baptism, our sins are washed away, uh, our spiritual condition changes, we're, we're put into the body of Christ, but that does not fundamentally change who we are. Right. That doesn't change our mind and the way we feel. As you just said, the, the, the flesh is still going to have that war going on. It's not going to freely submit. So it'd be kind of like this. I get up in the morning, I take a shower, get all cleaned up, I put on fresh, clean clothes, and I go outside and I uh, work on a, a car that's all has a greasy engine, uh-huh. and I'm laying all over the hood and you know getting all up in there and getting all greasy and dirty and sweaty again. You know, the fact that I was clean doesn't keep me from getting dirty again. Right. And so there's something that we have to do to, um, I guess, complete the process. We, we can be clean, but we can get dirty again. Okay. Well, maybe we could spend some time in some scriptures that would help us uh, understand that. What do you got for us? Well, you know what happens? Once we understand how this works, it helps us to kind of understand and explain some scriptures that otherwise may seem to be contradictory. You know, whenever scriptures seem to be contradictory, it's because we don't understand them. There's nothing in the Bible that contradicts itself. Correct. So let me give you an example of this that okay. some people may struggle with. Let's just look at the first uh, epistle of John. First John chapter 5, verse 18 says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Mm. Okay. Okay. Just take that statement. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Now then, in chapter 2, verse 1 of that same letter, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Sounds like they were having an issue with sin in that scripture, which when I read chapter 5, it says they do not sin. Okay, I'm seeing the apparent contradiction that some might read into. Oh, but it goes further than that. All we have to do is finish (laughs) reading the verse that we just started, 1 John 2 and 1. I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And then he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verses 8 through 10 of 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Mm. If we confess our sins, he's right. faithful and just to forgive right. us our sins. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So in one place... He says, whoever is born of God does not sin. And in the same letter to the same people, the same author says, if you say that you don't have sin, you're a liar. <laughs> okay, well, how do we make sense of both these statements? Okay. You know, there's a, a certain tense in different languages. We have it in English, but it's not nearly as apparent. In some other languages, you will have tenses of things that happen once. It's a momentary thing or something that continues okay. to occur. Right. Okay. Well, in the original language here, when John said, I write these things so that you may not sin, he used a tense that suggests a sustained rejection of sin. It's an ongoing process. We keep on trying not to sin. But when he immediately says afterward, if anyone sins, that suggests a single sinful act rather than habitual sinfulness or a pattern of sinfulness. One scholar commenting on that verse said, John pictures the act of sin as an isolated one, not as one's state or lifestyle. Okay. So that we're talking, I like that phrase you just used, a lifestyle or habitual nature of 
living sinfully versus a single action, an outburst, a momentary relapse. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And, and, and let me just mention briefly, we've, we've talked about the first few verses of Romans chapter 6 that talked about baptism and rising up to walk in newness of life. Right. Okay, well, in chapter, uh, or excuse me, verse 1, he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Certainly we do not continue in sin. He also says a little bit later on in verses 11 through 13, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So think about what the word reign means. You know, it's it's uh, right. to rule over or uh-huh. to control. Sin must not control us. We must not allow it to reign in our lives. You'll occasionally stumble. You and I have mentioned that even being Christians for decades does not take away all temptation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We occasionally will slip and stumble and fall and make a mistake. But don't just accept that like, oh, that's no big deal. That's just my nature. It's okay. God understands. Um, Hebrews 12 and 14 tells us to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we have to constantly strive for that. Okay, so those scriptures, Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, and then in verse 12 about don't let sin reign in your body. Oh, we're going to have to stop right there. It's a great place for a split, and I invite you to come back next week as we continue this conversation, this Bible study on changing our mind. And when we put on Christ, how we can overcome some of those temptations as we seek to be more like Jesus. Until next week, I invite you to please consider looking at the website and some of the resources that are available there. There are great study books for you to download and use in private Bible study. There are Bible study courses if you're interested in signing up and taking some of those either online or through the mail. And there are videos. I'm really starting to emphasize a video ministry as well, putting out new content every week that I'm able. Until next week. This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember that God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.